Richard Walker with the third and final part of Polly Nichols' story. Polly's body was found lying in Bucks Row. Bucks Row right behind Whitechapel Station was lit only by a dim gaslight at the far end, so right where she was found would have been pitch dark. After the murder, people began referring to Bucks Row as Murder Row, so the residents demanded a name change, and so in 1888 it became Durwood Street, which is what it is still called. Back then, Bucks Row was patrolled by a beat policeman every half hour. About 150 yards to the east of the murder site, another beat policeman passed the east end of Bucks Row every half hour as he made his way down Brady Street. About 150 yards west of the murder site, another beat policeman passed the west end of Bucks Row every half hour as he made his way down Baker's Row. Whoever the killer was, he had to avoid being noticed by three different police officers. At about half an hour after midnight on August 31st, 1888, Polly left the frying pan pub on the corner of Brick Lane and Thrall Street and walked to Wilmot's lodging house, but lacking the money to pay for a bed, she was soon back on the streets. At 2.30, she was half a mile west of Bucks Row, at the corner of Brick Lane and Whitechapel High Street. She'd met Ellen Holland, who'd been out watching a fire blazing at the docks, and Ellen said that Polly left her and started walking east. Ellen said when Polly left her, it was 2.30, by the Whitechapel Church clock. Forty-five minutes later, at 3.15, she was still making her way east, because Police Constable John Neal walked from west to east down Bucks Row, and he said there was nobody around. Twenty-five minutes later, at 3.40, Robert Paul was walking from east to west along Bucks Row on his way to work, and he said that ahead of him there was a man standing looking at something. As he got closer, the man crossed to meet him and said, Look, there's a woman lying here. And that's when he saw Polly Nichols' body laid out in front of a pair of gates. Now, the two men weren't sure if she was alive or dead, but not wanting to be late for work, they left her, intending to tell the first policeman they saw. A minute or so west from where Polly lay, they passed the end of Thomas Street, which connects Bucks Row with Whitechapel Road. And minutes after they passed it, P.C. John Neal walked up it from Whitechapel Road and turned right to once again walk east along Bucks Row. And he finds the body. He turns on his light, and he sees that her throat has been cut wide across. He attracted the attention of the policeman patrolling down Brady Street at the east end of Bucks Row, sends him off to get a police surgeon who lives locally. The police surgeon discovered a short cut just below the left ear and below that a much deeper cut. It went right across the throat, right back to the spinal column. He said it was as though whoever did this they were trying to remove the woman's head completely. Now, despite the throat being cut, blood had not run down the front of Polly's clothes. All the blood was gathered beneath her. He said she had to have been killed when she was lying down. And death occurred when the left carotid artery was severed. He added that there was no sign of a struggle. The only bruising was a bruise the shape of a man's thumb on Polly's right jaw and a longer bruise on the left cheek. Now this is important because this is how the murders of the other four women took place. It is this that has led to the belief uh, by many that the five women were murdered by the same killer. 
it is also part of what built the killer's reputation. Consider also that right next to where the murder took place, there was a woman who was a very light sleeper. And in the building right opposite was a woman who was awake at the time. They heard nothing. And each of the other murders occurred close to people who heard nothing. So the standard explanation is, as Philip Sugden explains in his book The Complete History of Jack the Ripper, Polly Nichols and the other victims, prostitutes all, accustomed to accosting men and taking them to dark and unfrequented byways and yards for sex, greatly facilitated his crimes. So, if we accept that theory, sometime after 2.30 in the morning, when she left Ellen Holland half a mile to the west, Polly accosted a man and persuaded him to give her fourpence in exchange for sex in a dark and unfrequented byway. She then waited at the end of Bucks Row until 3.15, when PC John Neal made his way east. Then she and her client crept in the darkness down Bucks Row in complete silence. And then also, in complete silence and without a struggle, he gets her onto the ground. It's worth mentioning that when working outdoors, prostitutes provided their service by standing against a wall. They did not leave themselves at the total mercy of the client by lying down. And indeed, the client would not have wanted to lay down in the average East street. But the killer managed to get her on the ground without a struggle after which he severs the left carotid artery. All of this, and the victim doesn't make a sound. It's easy to see why Jack the Ripper gained such a reputation. Why people suggested a vampire, werewolf, or ghost. But suppose we change part of the story. That part of the story that takes place after Polly leaves Ellen Holland at 2.30. We can change it because there are no witnesses that can confirm the theory that Polly accosted anybody, even accepting the assumption that Polly was accustomed to accosting men and taking them to dark and unfrequented byways and yards for sex. There had to have been nights where she was unlucky. So in this new story, sometime after 3.15, she arrived in Buck's Row alone. She's exhausted, simply looking for somewhere to rest. She tries the gates, but, as the police confirmed, they were locked. She hopes that in her dark clothes, in the pitch darkness huddled against the gates, she might be unseen, and she can get some sleep before dawn. But maybe somebody sees her, watches her settle down, watches till she drifts off to sleep and then silently creeps toward her, drops down beside her, clamps his left hand over her mouth, squeezing the nostrils closed between the thumb and forefinger, and at the same time his right hand grips her jaw to stop her head from jerking around and throwing his left hand off. His right thumb leaves a bruise on the right side of her jaw, and his fingers leave a longer bruise on the left cheek. All in complete silence, because she's asleep. No sign of a struggle, because she's already lying on the ground. But whichever scenario you favour, whether you believe she led her killer to Bucks Row or her killer found an easy target as Polly slept, you have to admit this man was a cool customer. A beat policeman patrolled from west to east along this dark and unfrequented byway every half hour. And at the time Jack commits his murder, it's not an unfrequented byway. As we know, men are making their way from east to west to get to work. Interesting. These men going to work. 
In 2000, Derek Osborne said the man who was standing looking at Polly's body when Robert Paul arrived could well have been her killer. And in 2014, journalist Krista Holmgren and criminologist Gareth Norris explored the case against him in the 2014 Channel 5 documentary Jack the Ripper, The Missing Evidence. It suggested that he lied about the time that he discovered Polly's body. They say he got here before 3.40, silently dropped down beside her, strangled her and cut her. Then he heard Robert Paul making his way along Bucks Row and rather than making a run for it and attracting the attention of the three beat policemen close by, he calmly stood back and said, Look, there's a woman lying here. Holmgren and Norris say that this man gave his name as Charles Allen Cross, but evidence has recently come to light that suggests that was a name he had only used briefly as a child, Cross being the surname of one of his stepfathers. At Pickford's, where he worked as a meat delivery man, he went by the name of Charles Allen Lechmere, the same name that was listed at the address that he gave to the police, 22 Doveton Street, Bethnal Green. They also say that he told the police he left 22 Doveton Street at 3.30 and arrived at the murder site ten minutes later at 3.40. They say it's only a seven-minute walk, and they are right. In fact, it only took me six and a half minutes. What can be said in favour of the suspect Charles Allen Lechmere is that he was very definitely in Bucks Row, very close to the time that the murder took place. That cannot be said of any of the scores of other suspects. Of course, Robert Paul and PC John Neal were also in Bucks Row at around the right time. Certainly the police should have shown more interest in Lechmere, but of course they were working on the assumption that the killer was targeting prostitutes. Polly Nichols was walking from the west, Charles Allen Lechmere was walking from the east, and he was an unexceptional man on his way to work, so Polly couldn't have costed him. The Jack the Ripper mystery is, of course, inextricably linked to prostitution. He was, after all, a prostitute killer, wasn't he? Well, that might be worth its own podcast. For now, this is London Walks Tour Guide Richard Walker saying thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for my next podcast, and, and maybe even join me on one of my Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel walks. Bye for now.